Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody today? Hey, I'm so glad you all came on out today. You know, we got a blizzard coming in, right? And so hopefully you got about 10 gallons of milk and eight loaves of bread because, you know, we're in bad shape. Everybody goes crazy. I am so glad you're here. Now, I hope that you were here last week and you picked up one of these prayer guides. And uh, if you didn't and you need one today, uh, we had some more made, so you can pick those up today. I want to encourage you and challenge you. This is about prayer, fasting, and meditation. And you can be a part of this. And God is doing great things. I've heard many, many testimonies already about uh, what God's doing in our lives and in the life of the church. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you to be a part of this. And guys, I want you to take lead on this. I want you to show your families and people around you that you're serious about God and your relationship with him. And this is just a tool to help you do that. And so I've got a little story I hope to tell at the end about what God did in my life this week. Uh, But I want you to open up your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going to be as we continue to move forward, uh, unpacking the idea of of prayer and our walk with God. Uh, God desires that we pray, and often we uh, have uh, come to a place in our life where we feel like we need to pray. But I want you to know that, that that's when it's isolated like that, we're missing the value and we're missing the intimate connection that is supposed to be ongoing with our God. And and so we're going to look today at uh, at an amazing uh, prayer. In fact, we're going to look at one of the most quoted scriptures in all of God's word. Um, You've probably memorized it. You probably know it. It's a prayer. In fact, it's the most popular prayer Uh, given by the most popular person who ever walked on the planet. And we call it the Lord's Prayer. Now, you're familiar with it. Some of you know it. I want to have you to read it with me off of the board behind us. It's in uh, New King James on the board. I want you to read it out loud. It goes like this. He he says in verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray. Here we go. I want you to read it out loud. Read it out loud. Our Father in heaven... Can, can I be honest? You're the worst readers I've ever known. <laughs> Sounded like we were reading 10 different prayers. And then it went like, like at the football game. Let's do the wave. Amen, 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 amen. <laughs> wow, I didn't know something was going to be so difficult. I'll get you to practice ahead of time. That's the Lord's Prayer. It's what we call it. It's the Lord's Prayer. All right? Now, we're going to talk about that prayer over the next couple of weeks. And hopefully we're going to learn some things. But so often we take things and we develop an idea, a philosophy about something scriptural. But we often remove it from its context. Now, we talk about all the time the value, significance, and importance of context. It means when you have a scripture, what's it surrounded by? What's it in the heart of? 
because that helps us understand what that particular passage is. It's why typically I don't preach topical messages. A topical message is where we just, okay, what's a current idea? Uh, let's talk about, you know, abortion. And let me find a bunch of scripture and to build my case about abortion. And so it's topical. And I'm at risk when I do that. And other people are as well because we take verses to build the case. And sometimes they may be a little out of context. Uh, context. And so there's risk involved there. So we're going to look in context of what this prayer really is. Because I think when we unpack it and get it well, it'll help us in our prayer life. And I know you want your prayer life to be better. I know that deep in your heart and your soul, you want a relationship with God. Well, man, when you just call his name out, you know he's, he's listening. He's there. He's engaged. He's waiting on the next line from your lips or from your heart. And, and so we're going to do that. And that's why I told you to look up Luke 11 and Matthew 6. Because this is where we find this prayer. Now, contextually, in Luke chapter 11, in verse 1, this is what it says. Now, it came to pass... As he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he, Jesus, ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John, that's John the Baptist, also taught his disciples to pray. So he said to them, Jesus said, when you pray, say. So in context, we're going to find out this isn't the Lord's prayer at all. The, the Lord has just finished the Lord's prayer. It says, when the Lord ceased praying in a certain place, that was the Lord's prayer. All right? You see it? Now, the disciple, one of the disciples says, we want you to teach us, your followers, the disciples, we want you to teach us how to pray because we see you praying and we hear you praying. So obviously, it's important. Obviously, there's something about that whole dialogue right there. So John the Baptist taught the people who followed him. So we want you to teach the people who follow you how to do this thing called praying. So in context, the Lord's Prayer is not really the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is the disciples' prayer guide. That's what it is. It is a prayer guide for you if you are a follower of Jesus. If you're born again, if the Holy Spirit has entered your life and the finished work of Jesus has come into you to save you and adopt you and change you and make you new, you're a disciple of Jesus, okay? So it's important that we see really what the value of this thing is. Now, that's the first thing I want you to see. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer guide for disciples. And next, I want us to see that this, this prayer guide is not given as a substitute for personal prayer. It's given as a standard for personal prayer. Okay, this is not a thing that, okay, if I can just learn that prayer, which we didn't know it very well in that variety, but if, we, if I can just learn this prayer, then me and God are going to be like close from now on. That's not why it was given. It's given as a standard or a, a, a template or a model for our prayer relationship with, with God. Now, theologians have been amazed by this little prayer for over 2,000 years. Because in a moment, it seems 
the disciples said to Jesus, hey, will you teach us how to pray? Because John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And it's not like Jesus took a class on prayer. It's not like he said, let me, let me put some good thoughts together and I'll get back with you boys. He just said, yeah, let's uh, pray like this. Now, less than 70 English words is all it takes to comprise this comprehensive prayer guide for a disciple. It's really cool. Now, now how is that so? How does he just know Here's just some words, and this, if you do this right here, it's going to be great. Because this prayer guide came from the Son of God speaking to his Father in heaven. If you want to know how to talk to God, you ask somebody who's been hanging out with God for like eternity. Okay? That's who Jesus is. He's part of the Trinity, the triune Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They've been hanging out together. He, Jesus is not created. Jesus is coexistent with God. They've been together for eternity. They've been talking together for eternity. Now Jesus is here and the Father's in heaven and he's with his disciples. He knows how to talk to God, right? And so he's going to give a prayer guide for you and for me, if you're a disciple, on how to talk to God. That's what this thing is given for. And so We've gone to the right source. Now, context. We, we know now that, that, this, that this is a prayer guide for, for the disciples. Uh, we know now that uh, Jesus has given it and he knows what he's talking about. Let's consider the context again. Now look at Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, before Jesus gives a disciple prayer guide, he gives a disciple not to pray guide. Okay, before he tells us how to pray, he says, before I'm going to tell you how to pray, I want you to know how not to pray. Okay, let's just go ahead, let's cut this out, and then we'll get to the heart of the matter. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus says this about prayer. He says, whenever you pray, so he, he knows you, you need to be praying, he says, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, what is a hypocrite? We get our word hypocrite from a Greek word, uh, which is an actor, a fraud, an imposter. In a drama in the first century, uh, an actor would wear a mask. And they would pretend to be somebody that they really weren't. Uh, they'd be an act, like an actor in a play. And Jesus is saying, hey, let's just, let's just stop pretending. Okay? Let's not be a, a hypocrite. Let's not act like we are something that we're really not. And now he describes what that looks like. He says, because they, the hypocrite, loves to pray while standing in the synagogues and on street corners so that people can see them. And then he says, truly, I say to you, they have their rewards. He says, but whenever you do pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your father in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now he goes on in verse 7. This is the how not to pray prayer guide. He says, when you pray, do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles because they think that by their many words they will be heard. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is warning us not to be a hypocrite. Not to be a fake. 
Jesus is also warning us not to just babble repetition. Have you ever prayed a babble prayer? Yes, you have. A babble prayer is that moment when you're at something, maybe at work, maybe at a family get-together, maybe wherever. Maybe somebody has a hard time and they know you're a Christian. And in the moment, man, you just had a hard day. You know, you're not, you haven't read your Bible and done your prayer and your fasting. I mean, you're not, in a, you're not in a good season and they call on you to pray. You know, you, here you go and you just start praying and your heart's not right and you know it. And rather than just excuse yourself and say, you know, I'd love to pray, but right now somebody needs to pray for me. And but, so you just pray, okay? And you're babbling is what you're doing, okay? Y- your heart's not in it. Anybody ever prayed like that? Just me. Okay, six of us. That's good. Okay, that's all I need is six. All right, and the other one are the religious prayers. Let me, let me be real clear about something. God is not interested in your religiosity. Now, there's nothing wrong with religion. Religion can, be, can mean a commitment, a dedication, a habitual uh, sincerity about part of our life. You can be religious about something. God is not about developing a kingdom of religious people, okay? In fact, Jesus spoke about religion over and over and over. Jesus knew he would come to this earth to die for sinners, but he also knew he would be killed by religious people, okay? So it's not about religion. Jesus is trying to get you to get this and me to get this. Prayer is not about about some form of religious hypocrisy. Prayer is about a relationship with Yahweh, It's about a conversation, a dialogue with the king of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things. And Jesus is saying, before you even think about praying right, be careful that you understand what it means to pray wrong. Jesus knew that if we get the wrong part right, we stand a better chance of getting the right part right. And, And so he wants us to know that we don't need to be fake prayers. Now, this is what's funny. A lot of people want to say, yeah, I'm not coming to the church. There's a bunch of hypocrites down at the church. When somebody tells you that, you just look at them and say, there's always room for one more. You come on, you fit right in. This is the truth. And the bigger truth is this. Christianity is the greatest form of non-hypocrisy on the planet. Because a true Christian community and a true Christian understands we messed up. We are bad, in bad shape. I sin every day, but I have a Savior who died on a cross who's in the process of of changing me from the inside out, conforming me into the image of Jesus' Son. You see, the difference is a, a hypocrite says one thing knowing that they're not that. And so I want you to know today, in fact, we're all sinners. In fact, ask the person next to you, hey, are you a sinner? Go ahead and ask them. Now, if they said no, they just became one. That's what's beautiful. If they said no, they just became a sinner with the rest of us. Okay? So now that we're on the same page, we can't, knowing that we're all broken, we're all a work in progress, we haven't arrived yet, now we're at the right place to begin to understand and, and, and consider what it is that God wants us to do when it comes to prayer. Hypocrites cannot face themselves in a real way. So they pretend. They put the mask on. And as the religious 
people that Jesus was referring to, they have big words of personal greatness and they emphasize the stuff of others that they don't like about themselves. Meanwhile, the reason Jesus is saying don't be a hypocrite is because when we stand before God, there's no mask. Scripture says that we stand naked before God. How's that? Okay, he sees, he sees the heart of the matter. He reads the condition of the heart, not just the words that the world often hears. And so I wrote this to kind of sum it up. The power of this amazing prayer is not a religious, repetitious recitation of words. It is a pattern for communication between the temporal and the eternal, between the created and the creator. You get it? It's, it's big. Prayer is not about impressing ourselves or those around us. Prayer is about developing an audience with the creator, with the eternal. And it's, so it's bigger often than we give it credit. Now, in Scripture then, based on that situation, based on that context, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, so pray this way. The Greek says prosukamai un hautos. I don't say that to impress you. I say say that it literally means Jesus literally said, pray in this way. He didn't say repeat these words, recite this prayer. He said pray in this way. This is your model, a template, an outline, a skeleton for your personal prayer life. In Luke 11, he says this, say this. Now, if you read Luke 11, you think, well, it kind of says that he's saying, say this, because that's what he said. What does that even mean? In the Greek, the word say is lego. It's L-E-G-O. If you've got children, you might have at your house, you might have stepped barefooted on and cussed at the lego, a lego. And in the Greek, this is what it means. It means to arrange to gather, to lay, or to stack. Jesus is saying your prayer should have components that you lay and stack and arrange and organize just like this. Jesus wants you, if you're a disciple of his, a child of God in him, Jesus wants you to have a very real walk with God in prayer. And so if you think you want it, you don't want it near as bad from God as God wants it from you. And he's told us everything we need to know. So does it mean we shouldn't quote this scripture? Should we not say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, other than you say the whole thing? No, I'm not saying that. Scripture is great to recite. Scripture is great to burn in your heart and etch in your soul. But listen to me. God really isn't impressed with your ability to quote a scripture and its address in the Bible. That's not for God. That's for you. Learning scripture, etching scripture in our soul is for changing the condition of our heart. And then based on the changed condition of our heart, then the outflow is how we live and how we communicate with God. So reciting scripture, reciting this poem is important. In fact, I'll go a step further. If you are like me 
there's times you don't even know what to pray. I mean, you, you don't even know where to begin because you're thinking, well, if I start praying, talking to God, I'm just babbling, especially after I'm aware that that's a thing. Or maybe I'm just praying because I'm going to pray and it's, I'm, it's just a religious thing because it's a thing now. So I don't even know what to pray. Let me tell you what that looks like. Seven years ago when God sent me over here to be a part of this revitalization, uh, he impressed upon my heart to do a prayer walk. Because after all, there was a church on a hill over here looking at like a thousand houses. That's about how many houses are in this valley. It's a freak of nature. I mean, no churches look at a thousand houses. And we do. And I felt convicted about that. I'm like, why are there not people here from there? And so I started prayer walking. I'm not, I'm not like a prayer walker. I, I don't even know what that is. That's just what it's called. You walk and you pray. <laughs> okay? Just define it. And so I would go over there and I would walk and pray. And I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. And then I met a few and now I knew a few. And that's it. I walked every street. And then we would take teams of people and we would go door to door and invite them to church. And after about, I don't know, a year, the church was growing. And you know where those people were coming from? Not there. <laughs> Everywhere, not there. It's almost like there was a hedge of protection against us impacting that whole Thousand House Valley. I mean, we would have one or two along the way drift in for a visit. But we had virtually nobody out of about 4,000 people in the valley. And so in my stupidity, I thought, well, this is not productive. So I don't need to be prayer walking anymore. So I stopped. And then this week, while I was putting this message together, I was sitting at my temporary office by the coffee shop right out here. And I looked up and I saw all those houses in the valley. And the Lord just said, why did you stop praying for them? And I was honest. I said, because it didn't seem very productive. He said, they I said, nobody was coming from there. And he said, did people come from other places? Well, yeah. I told you to prayer walk. So what did I do? I went back and started prayer walking. So if you live over there now, you, there's a preacher up on the hill who walks the streets over there, and he's praying. Now, what does that have to do with this prayer? I go over there to prayer walk. I still really do. I know we have some people here who live over there, but few. I'm praying. I don't know these people. I can't say, you know, hey, the, you know, the uh, Winston family lives here. I know they're going through a hard time. Let me pray for them, God. You know, I know the, I don't know. I don't know them. I'm just praying for like a neighborhood. So what do I pray? I'm not kidding. This prayer started. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's as far as it got. I'm walking the streets saying, Father God, you are outside of time and space, bigger than I can comprehend. God, I just thank you for being good God, and I thank you for reminding me that I need to be serious about the community that I serve. God, and so here it went. It all launched with this one idea, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When you don't have words to pray, it's okay to repeat and to recite a prayer guide that Jesus gave you, okay? When you don't know what to say, it's okay to recite and repeat scripture. And that's what this prayer guide is. So, so 
put it in your heart and use it as a template or a guide. Now, here's what's important about it. Uh, Sometimes we think that the magic of the prayer are in the words that we pray. That's not true. God's not worried about the words of the prayer. God's worried about the condition of the heart. You see, there's a thing called the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were very good at the letter of the law. I got the Ten Commandments, boom, I'm in this thing, I got it. In fact, the Ten Commandments are so good, we're going to write a few of our own. And they wrote hundreds. And then they would look at people and say, hey, are you doing what it says to do? Because if you'll do what it says to do, you and God will be good. And the whole religious system of the Old Testament became a thing about us doing perfect for God. That's the letter of the law. The spirit of the law says, listen, I gave you those laws, those commandments, not to show you how good you can be, to show you how messed up you are. I gave you all of those to help you understand you can't fix you. You can't do you good for me. You need somebody to come and be good for you. And it pointed to Jesus. And when Jesus came full of truth and full of the spirit, all right, he completed what man could not complete in the Old Testament, perfection. And then he died on the cross for our imperfection. Now that spirit of the law, letter of the law, the prayer guide given by Jesus in Luke and Matthew is a spiritual thing. The spirit of this prayer is what smoked theologians for the last 2,000 years, how you could have less than 70 words in the English language, and it's comprehensive and complete as a prayer guide. Now, 2 Corinthians 3 addresses the spirit truth thing. This is not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but the spirit. For the letter, it kills, but the spirit gives life. And so it's okay to repeat the prayer, but it's not the words of the prayer where the, fa- where the power is found. And so I summed it up like this. The power is not in the words of the guide. The power is found in the components of the prayer from a personal perspective. It's just like fasting. This prayer guide helps develop in us the proper condition of the heart so when we pray to God, it's in a right place. Now, I I read this poem last year, maybe the year before, I don't know when it was, that I ran across, and you might have heard it. Certainly, you might have heard it if you were here when I preached it. And it paints a picture of kind of what the world looks like and how the world looks at prayer and yet what the reality of a real prayer really is. It was written by a guy named Sam Walter Foss, and it's called The Prayer of Cyrus Brown. This is the proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keyes, and the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight, outstretched arms, and wrapped in upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Slow, such posture's too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. 
It seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year, I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up and my head a-pinting down. And I made a prayer right then and there, best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a-standing on my head. Maybe you'll catch it later. All of these religious prayers about all the function and the posture of it all, how we're supposed to pray, a real prayer before God is a real prayer from the condition of your heart in the situation that you're in. And so that's why Jesus gave them a prayer guide. So we understand the context now, right? We got it? Now, the second thing we're going to see in the rest of this message and then next week is the composition of the prayer, the components of this thing. It's important that we know the components, it, it, one by one. And so he begins the prayer, and that's what we're going to cover today in Matthew 6. He begins, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's it. But I want you to know, if you get this part, it will liberate your prayer life. If you get this well, it will change your Christian journey. Because he nails something that we just often look right on by. You see, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to tell you how to get yourself ready for a real prayer walk with the Father. He says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He begins acknowledging a relationship. Okay? Now, here's what's cool about it. Sometimes we read it. Okay, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, ah, fellas, you want to pray to the Father like I was? Let's get real. He says, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. Jesus is saying, fellas, you're following me? All of a sudden, I want you to know something. That Father in heaven, God is now not just my heavenly father. If you follow me, he's your heavenly father. Now he's our heavenly father. You see, Jesus can say it. He's the son of God, right? It's, he can say that. Yes, he can. And now he's saying, you can say it. He's saying, listen, you're with me and I'm with you. That makes us with him. So pray to him. You get it? I'm with you and you're with me. And we're in this thing together. And he's with us. He is your father too. He's not some religious object of worship. He's not some totem pole or some object. He is God, your personal father, when you are with me, his personal son. Now, let's, let's make sure we get that scripturally right. Romans 8, chapter 29 says, Because those whom he, God, foreknew, he, God, also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's saying, listen, 
God's goal for you and you and you and me as a follower of Jesus is to conform to the image of Jesus. You want to know what God wants you to do? He wants you to act like Jesus. You want to know how God wants you to respond in a situation verbally? Talk like Jesus. You want to know what God wants your life to look like? Look like Jesus. Now he says, all those that he predestined to conform to the image of Christ, those that he knew would be followers, he says they, he wants them to be sons of God with conforming to his son. Jesus is God's son, although he's co-equal and co-eternal. So John MacArthur, great theologian and preacher, he, he, this is what he says about this passage. He says, God's supreme purpose for bringing sinners to salvation is to glorify his son, Jesus Christ, by making him, Jesus, preeminent in the divine plan of redemption. In the words of this text, it is God's intent for Christ to be the firstborn among many brethren. So here's, here's the deal. All of us are, are uh, when we get saved, when a person gets saved, we get adopted into God's forever kingdom family. Okay? This prayer guide is given as a reminder. You follow Jesus, you got adopted. Okay? You follow Jesus, you're in the family. You follow Jesus, you have a spiritual father whose name is God. You follow Jesus, you have a relationship with God. Okay? That's, and Jesus knows it. And so that's how he begins this prayer guide. He says, you get your father right, you get your walk, your understanding of a heavenly father right, it'll change every part of your Christian journey. Now, once we're in the family, he begins a transformative, conformative work. He begins to change our want-tos. He begins to change the things that we want to do in our life, the places we want to go, the conversations that we have, our activities, our habits, the things that we do. He, he changes that. He wants to conform those into the image of Jesus. Now, it sounds like this beautiful uh, plurality of God. He, he loves everybody. God is the Father. Jesus is the Son. And we're in relationship with him. But I want you to understand something. It's going to get a little hard now because in the Old Testament, God was also the Father. Fifteen times in Old Testament Scripture, God is referred to as Father. But I want you to get something. In the Old Testament, he's never referred to as a personal father. He's referred to as the father of a nation. He's the father of Abraham, which is the nation of Israel. He's the father of Israel. Okay? But Jesus comes onto the scene and he punches through that curtain. He punches through that door and says, he's not now just the father of a nation. He's my father and he can be your personal father. 165 times Jesus uses the word father. Jesus wants you to know that you have God as your heavenly father when you follow Jesus who is his firstborn son. Now that's really powerful, really cool to know that that is real. But I want you to know something about it. 
He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is where it gets hard. It's not inclusive. It's not tolerant. It's not embracing. It sure don't fit with the whole woke joke movement. Listen, the whole woke movement is a joke from the devil. If you're born again, you don't need to be woke because you've been awakened. And once you're born again, spiritually awakened, you no longer need to be awakened. I want you to know that. If you've been awakened with the Spirit of God, you don't need to be woke. You're, uh, you are born again. And that whole woke movement is a replacement for spiritual birth, okay? This is not inclusive. L listen to me, in case, in case you don't know this, or in case you're wondering about this. You ready? God is not everybody's father. God is everybody's creator. God will be everybody's God at some point, whether separated from him or with him. God is not everybody's father. Everybody is not a child of God. I had this conversation a few years ago, and somebody said, well, everybody, we're just all children of God. That's not true. That is not true. We're all creations of God, but we're not children of God. And it's exclusive. All of a sudden, this prayer guide given as, quote, the Lord's Prayer, which is really a disciple's prayer guide, is exclusive and intolerant. Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, when you get born again, when you have spiritual birth, you are adopted into God's family. Before you're born again, you're an orphan. And your father is the devil. I want you to know there's two camps in this world, two families in this world. Satan's family, he's their father. God's family, he's their father. We all start out in Satan's family, and there's only one thing that moves us from this family to that family. And it's Jesus, the firstborn son of God, standing in the gap, hanging in the gap, if you will, on a cross, offering a bridge from Satan's family to God's family. Now, that sounds pretty harsh, pretty strong, right? I just don't know if I agree with that. Well, would you agree with Scripture? Let's see what it, what it actually says about this. In John chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus said, I am telling you the things I have seen while with the Father. As for you, practice the things you've heard from the Father. And they answered to Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus replied, if you are Abraham's children, you would be doing the deeds of Abraham. But now you're trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham didn't do this. You people are doing the deeds of your father. Okay? So now he just separated two fathers. 
the Father and your Father. He's, he's drawn a line between these actions that don't line up with the Father and their Father. Now it's going to get real serious. He says, when they said, then they said to Jesus, we were not born as a result of immorality. They're accusing Jesus of being born out of wedlock because he was born a virgin birth. We have only one Father, God himself. Jesus replied in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come from God and am now here. I have not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot accept my teaching. Maybe you're still not convinced. Listen, verse 44. You people are from your father, the devil, and you want to do what your father desires. And your father was a murderer from the beginning. And your father does not uphold the truth because there is no truth in your father. And whenever your father lies, he speaks according to his own nature. Because your father is a liar. And he is the father also of lies. But because I'm telling you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can prove me guilty of any sin? If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who belongs to God listens and responds to God's words. You don't listen and respond because you don't belong to God. Do you see it? There's two groups of people in this world. People who are children of the devil. Never haven't yet received grace deliverance in Jesus. And there's people who have received that grace gift and have been adopted into God's family. And when you get adopted, it comes with a mark. The Holy Spirit seals you and marks you as a child of God forever. It's a relationship that comes through Jesus. And once you get the fact, if you're born again, that you have a heavenly father that you can talk to and he wants to hear from you, it changes everything. When I was 15 years old, I have three brothers. My older brother was 14 months older than I was, than I am. And when he turned 16, he got a car. I turned 15, I got a permit. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna get a car. I got close to being 16 and I remember going to my dad. I said, Dad, when I turn 16, can I have a car too? And my dad said, we'll see. When I turned 16, he bought me a car. Now, when I was getting close to 16 and wanting a car, I didn't go to the neighbor's house, my friend David, and go to David's dad, whose name was Roland, and say, Roland, I'm getting ready to turn 16. I know you're David's dad, but uh, you think I could have a car? I didn't go to my uncle and ask my uncle, hey, I'm getting ready to turn 16. You think I could have a car? I, I didn't go to some other man. I went to my father and asked for something I needed. That's what a relationship looks like. You see, for 16 years at that point, my dad had been my dad. He developed in me an expectation from him. And I had been his son. And he had developed an expectation of me. And sometimes I would let him down on his expectation. And other times I would do just fine. 
And sometimes what I thought my dad should do for me looked a little different than what he actually did. But we were in relationship together. That's what it looks like. When you are in a relationship with God as your father through Jesus, his son, you develop expectations from each other for all of eternity. And when you have something you need, you go to your father. You know what one of the biggest problems in our Christian community is today? Some of us did not have a good earthly father. And so it's hard for us to receive love from our good heavenly father. I want you to know, maybe you didn't even have an earthly dad. Maybe you had a terrible earthly father. I want you to know, God is not that father. He's a good father, and he loves his children. Now, in this introduction, he goes one step forward, and we're done for today. He says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does that even mean? It means hagiadzo. <laughs> That's what it means. That's Greek. What does that even mean? It means holy, separated, sanctified, set apart, above all other names, nothing to compare, no way to describe him. He says, our Father in heaven who's outside the realm of my gray matter understanding. Our Father who, our Father who art in heaven, the one that, that I, it, I, sh I ought to be careful even mentioning your name. Jesus says, that's who your Father is. That same Father of mine, when I was growing up, I was about 10 years old, and somebody knocked on the door of our house. And we were just hanging out. And I went to the door. I was just a little boy, and this guy from our church was at a door, and he was real, like, cool-like. He says, hey, Hot Rod, is the old man around? That's what he said to me. I'd never heard that. I said, who? He said, the old man, your dad. I said, oh, yeah. So I went in. I said, hey, old man, uh, somebody's here to see you. And he goes, okay. So he went to the door and had his conversation conversation's over and he came in and he took me and my three brothers and he said hey guys let me tell you something and we're sitting there I don't know he said uh, I'm not your old man I'm your dad and you boys are my sons and it'll always be that way just call me dad for the next 70 plus years you want to know what I called him dad God's name is to be set apart. I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings here today. All this OMG stuff, you need to watch that. That's not separating his name. That's diluting his name to some initials on a Facebook post or a text message. In our household, I was so convicted of this as a young man. I don't even say the word gosh. And maybe that's religious. Maybe it's legalistic. You don't have to pay any attention to it. Why is it important to me? When I say God, I want God's ears to be twitching in my direction. Because he heard somebody call his name who doesn't just throw his name around like it's a hot dog. 
okay? When I say his name, it's because I'm talking about him and his greatness. When I call on his name, he knows I need to get his attention. God's name is hallowed. It's hagiazo, set apart and different. Jesus said, you want to walk with God? You want to know how to pray to the God who whispered your existence and formed you in your mother's womb? You go before him because he's our father. We're in this thing together. I'm paying the price to make that happen. And when you call on him, you know that he is alone up there. And there is no other name. There is no other name to compare. He is the one and only Yahweh, the true and living God. Now, what does that look like in the life of somebody like you and me who live in this old broken world? So I'm leading the church through 21 days of prayer and fasting and meditation. That's bold because the enemy does not want me to lead it and he doesn't want you to participate. And so when we stomp around in enemy territory, the horns come out. And so Sunday a week ago, I mean it's two Sundays ago, I left church and by that night I was sick. I was sick for a few days and I got better. And I'm writing this, Mike England knows, I couldn't even finish writing that prayer journal. It was all over me. And, and then I had some just crisis. I have a friend of mine, a year younger than me, had to go in for emergency, bust his chest cavity open, heart uh, surgery. And it's got people hurting. I've got just ugly stuff, old devil stuff everywhere. And, and it got on me. It got on your preacher. It got on me hard. I sent out a prayer request to my deacons who I, love and their wives I said hey pray for your preacher and his family I need you and they did so I'm walking around in this man and it's hurt darker spot darkest spot I've been in a long long time now watch this people are praying for me I'm praying I gave my book away because we ran out and I'm typing up my prayers and I think it was on day Tuesday, Wednesday, it was praise day. You ever not feel real crazy? You feel more crazy than you do crazy? That's where I was. So I started typing my praise. And it just kind of started coming out how good God is. And just on and on it came out. And then I prayed for my family and for people who had told me about prayers. And I'm praying for them. And, and I didn't remember this till I looked back. I didn't pray anything for me. Then I took Kendra's car to have the oil changed. How's that at first? Segue, spiritual segue. I'm sitting in my wife's car waiting for the oil to be changed. And I was just under it. And I had some worship music playing. And I just worshiped him. <laughs> the God of the universe showed up in a 2017 Ford Expedition and wallered all over me. I started crying. I ain't a big crier. Didn't matter in that moment. He touched me powerfully down deep in the hurt and 
He said, I'm with you. I got this. Man, I needed to hear that. A few minutes later, I'm going to throw you under the bus, Ed. I get a text from Ed. He says, man, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And when you hurt, we hurt. We love you. Something like that. I called him. I said, you have no idea. I said, he took it. He took it. All right. He met me where I was. He wrapped his big old daddy arms around me. And he said, I'm with you. Why? Because Jesus told his disciples, and I am one. He said, we're in this thing together. I'm with you. You're with me. We're with him. There is no weapon formed that will prosper to the child of God. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. And we have to battle. It ain't easy. Following Jesus is not easy. Matter of fact, most of the people that did in the early church, they were martyred. That's not the world we live in, but it hurts sometimes. I want you to know today, you have a Father in heaven if you are a disciple of Jesus. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I cannot finish this message today unless I ask you a very serious question. Today, nobody else in this world but you, nobody beside you, in front of you, behind you, no matter where we've come from, what our life looks like, the question is this, today, are you a child of God through Jesus, his son? Or are you still a child of your original father, the devil? It's not a religion. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus in your life today, I want you to know you don't have to leave this place separated from God. You simply say to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've played around with religion. I've played around with Christianity. But I have never yielded myself to Jesus to be not just the Savior of my soul, but to be the Lord of my life. I want Jesus to save me, to be my master, and to be my bridge between me and you. I no longer want to be part of the devil's family. On this day, I receive your grace gift, and I receive your adoption into your forever family. Thank you for hearing my prayer. If you need to pray that prayer today, or if you just did, I want you to make it public. I want the enemy to know. I want your family to know. I want this church to know that God is at work and he's still adopting people into his forever family. And for the rest of us, Maybe it's time we just were reminded God is a good God, worthy to be praised with a name worthy to be hallowed and set apart. 
Father, I thank you so much for being so good to your children, so good to us all. Your grace reigns upon the just and the unjust. But God, I thank you for saving me. I thank you for saving many of us. I thank you, God, that you're still in the saving business. God, I thank you for being such a good father beyond anything we can imagine, and it's forever developing me that proper relationship between your forever son and you, my forever father. God, I thank you for sending your very own son to bridge the gap and to make a way. I pray for those in this building right now, every individual, couple, family, whatever the situation is, God, I pray that they will lean on you, Father, that they will dive into you, Father, because you're big enough to handle all of our troubles. And God, your response may not look exactly like we think it should, and it may not be in the exact timeline we think it should be. God, help us hold on and be true because help is on the way, and you will do what you say you will do. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.